0: Have you ever thought back on your life and noticed that there are these small moments that led you to where you are today? I'm Alan Brooks from Building Momentum. In my new show, Breadcrumbs, I trace the pivotal moments of people's lives that lead them to where they are today. That I was asked to go backstage and I was able to meet Jesus. And I just very distinctly remember
1: thinking, I wanna do that. In the sunshine in this leather couch, I found my two big passions.
0: I truly believe as an adult, I'm just trying to recreate that moment.
1: It turns out that that was the beginning of a couple of decades in journalism. And that changed my life.
0: Through storytelling and conversation, our show traces the circuitous trail of how the creatives and intellectuals of today got to where they are. On Breadcrumbs, we'll pick up these crumbs that were left behind and see how they led us to where we are today and leading us to who we're still becoming. Take a listen to Breadcrumbs, an exciting independently run new podcast.
1: I actually do remember our first date mm-hmm. was when we went to that ice cream shop in the West Village. Right. It was yeah. like a fleeting ice cream shop somewhere in the West Village, like on yeah. like a yeah. cute a street. Tiny spot. Yeah. And we bonded over marshmallow sauce. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we talked about ice cream and
2: sort of uh, fantasizing about having ice cream or, or making ice cream. I mean, I think I did.
1: Yeah. I think we were talking and we were just talking about the shop. And it was, I remember having a conversation about, oh, this is so cute. I like this. And like we started just kind of
0: discussing it. I'm Alan Brooks, and this is my podcast, Breadcrumbs. We have conversations with people about the most pivotal moments in their lives and how they found themselves where they are today. So let's break some bread. My conversation this week is with the founders of The Social in New York, which is a bomb-ass ice cream place. Brian and Jackie are so interesting to talk to because they create this energy of love. And they've built this company from a really challenging moment and decided to throw everything back in with each other and try again. And that's something that very few people are capable of doing, let alone a couple together, so intrinsically tied to one another and so joyfully pursuing the things that they love. It's. So wonderful to hear this talk. It's so wonderful to hear the way that they talk about not only ice cream, which is awesome, but also the way they talk about each other and the way they talk about how they've come to where they are now. It's, I think, our first couple conversation, you know, two guests, and I could not have asked for a better pair for that start. These are the founders of The Social, Brian and Jackie, so let's tune in and break some bread with them.
1: Sure, so it was an alternative high school in the Bronx in a tenement building, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes we'd walk from the train. It was probably about a 10 minute walk from the train. And if we came in on a Monday, there would be a lot of the times bullet holes in the school windows and blood stains on the street. Needles, yeah. It was a tough school, but it was a school designed to help kids that had failed for either weapon suspensions or fights and kind of giving them agency and love. So it was nice in that sense. I'm not quite sure it really worked, but we tried. (laughs) tried. The first time I saw Brian was the first day I was in the school that Brian was already teaching in, and I was coming in, so I was getting a tour from a student. And I saw Brian in his classroom, and I thought, oh, he's cute. He had long hair, and <laughs> he just looked cute. And then I looked at his face, and he looked miserable. I'm like, wow, he's really cute, but he looks so miserable. And it scared me, because I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, is this school like the School of Misery? What's uh
2: Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean that was kind of every day. It was an hour and a half to get there from Brooklyn to the Bronx and then by the time we got there it was it was start what school started at eight, something like that. So it was it was early and then it was just so depressing being there in that space in that building. Yeah, so I probably was depressed. But I did have that long hair, that's true, as opposed to being bald now.
1: Yeah, you were cute. You were cute, but but really unhappy. And I was was excited to work in the school.
2: You were gorgeous. I just apologize. I have trouble remembering like, (laughs) being like that incredible spark or something. That came later.
1: I think we started hanging out with each other right away pretty much because we realized we lived in Brooklyn and I had a car, so I would drive Brian home sometimes.
2: That's true. But we were both involved and Relationships. I mean, I was married. Yeah. You were living with somebody. Yeah. So we were platonically friends, but I would catch rides. Yes. But I didn't really like catching a ride with you because (laughs) you smoked at the time and you would smoke all the time. That's true. You drove home, and even when you wouldn't smoke, the car just, oh. But it was better than taking the subways. Well, we were friends for quite a few years. I mean, I guess I taught for two or three years uh, at that school. And the school's location changed. We ended up shifting that location and went to work at a branch in Brooklyn. And, again, Jackie and I and a friend of ours, Debbie, who was the guidance counselor, would hang out we'd have lunch together we'd hang out in Debbie's office and then we we would socialize outside the three of us most of the time together and then uh, my marriage was ending around that time but I would spend a lot of time in Debbie's office with Jackie and whining and complaining and being sad and the two of them supporting me and so we were all just three friends for quite a while and then after I left and marriage ended, went back to school and then we just stayed in touch and kept being friends.
1: Yeah, that's when misery Brian turned into like happy go lucky Brian.
2: Once I left school, you mean? Once you
1: stopped teaching and you started working for sci fi oh. and that's when you became a completely different person. I wasn't really happy in my relationship, and he was ending or had ended his relationship, so there was some issues there. But he wasn't really my type, so I was kind of like not thinking about him as anything else, but all right, maybe friends with benefits, and that's about it. (laughs) That's
2: true. I think that uh, I was more interested in the idea than you were at the time, but I think it took a lot of time to sort of shift from being friends to... Friends with benefits to being in a relationship.
1: I actually do remember our first date mm. was when we went to that ice cream shop in the West Village. Right. It was yeah. like a fleeting ice cream shop somewhere in the West Village, like yeah. on like a yeah. cute a street. Tiny spot. Yeah, and we bonded over marshmallow sauce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we talked about ice cream. and yeah. um, sort of.
2: Fantasizing about having ice cream or or making ice cream. I mean, I think I did.
1: Yeah, I think we were talking, and we were just talking about the shop, and it was. I remember having a conversation about, oh, this is so cute. I like this, and like we started just kind of discussing it. Yeah, and that
2: would have been ninety-seven, ninety-eight. I mean, I mean, it
1: it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago.
2: I think we were such good friends, you know. It was like when Harry met Sally kinda of thing. Yeah. Right? We were friends for so many years and we built a foundation and friendship that was obviously very important. It was not until two thousand and two that we got married. <laughs> so it's a twenty year anniversary in another three weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's true. We had a we had a very a friendship, like a growing friendship that like started as teachers and we kind of traveled through life together in different ways.
0: Okay, okay. I just want to talk about everything. I know I'm on Zoom, but can we like hang out the whole day? I am also a reformed teacher. I taught for about three and a half years. I left as soon as my provisional license expired because I realized that working inside the the bureaucracy of public school was not the fit for me. So I would love to start with both of your decisions to leave the profession, and leave teaching and leave the classroom. But Brian, starting with what drew you to sci-fi?
2: Well, for me, teaching was always something that I didn't do because it was my first choice. I mean, I, I had gone to school and had wanted to be a writer and to write screenplays or make radio dramas, old-time radio plays. That was really my first love and, and interest. And teaching was something that I did because I couldn't find something else to do. And so it was an intermediate step but I managed to find a way to get the teaching to be creative and do media studies and get the kids to look at like tv shows and radio shows and and how stereotypes and sexism and racism were depicted in and media and that they consumed and so you know I was able to sort of uh, use some of the storytelling and creative stuff that I was interested in in the teaching but it was such a, an uphill battle to try to get through to the kids, and I right. just didn't have the right tools and the right training to do it, and my heart really, at the end of the day, wasn't in it.
0: And then, Jackie, you stayed in the school what, up until the first one took off, or w- when did you make that decision to transition away?
1: Well, I stayed in the school where I met Brian for a couple years after he left, and then I changed schools and I started teaching at the high school that I actually graduated from.
0: Well, that's nice.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was where I had always wanted to teach, another alternative high school in New York City.
0: And what did you teach?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, at the school that Brian and I were teaching at, I started designing my own courses because the kids really needed, like, just... To be calm and feel nurtured. I taught health, I taught meditation A- at the time, which was kind of very progressive. They were kind of like in need of anything in that school, so the principal's like, yeah, let's, yeah, fine, teach meditation, go for it. And then at City Az, where I taught for the last 16 years, I was an internship coordinator, so I created internships for students in various places across the city, and then I would create projects for them based on the academic credit that they were earning.
0: That's interesting. So it's a really interesting theme that pops up through a couple of your stories and what you're doing now to connect. I was reading about you guys. There's there's a lot out there. It's very exciting. One thing that kind of thematically pops up again and again, and you both kind of said this in your own ways, is that you were... Desperate to connect to your kids and find a way to, for them to have a sense of connection and community in in their own spaces, right? Brian, you, you were saying that you had to build this curriculum for media studies and get kids to imagine what is behind the stuff that they're absorbing. And, and you were saying about building a curriculum for kids who needed something different and needed that sense. And and still now, you're you're still doing that, finding these ways to bring people together and find ways to give people an opportunity and a space to gather and to be themselves around things they love. And I think that's just a lovely thread that carries through. So, Brian, can you talk a little bit about jumping to to sci-fi, though? And, like, there are probably two no more disparate work environments than corporate media entertainment and high school. Or am I wrong?
2: No, I suppose that's true. I mean, most of the time with writing, though, it's a solitary experience. I mean, if you're screenwriting, you're doing it at home, alone, in front of a computer or typewriter. Then you're having meetings, I guess, uh, with those corporate media types that you're talking about. But most of the time, you're you're spending time alone with your thoughts and, and crazy monsters, in my case, since I was trying to write monster movies. But I also worked at Sci-Fi Channel for a number of years, producing and directing radio plays, basically, during a first dot-com boom when they didn't have yet video online. We just had flash animation and basically streaming audio with uh, 28.8, and then we went to 56K. So I was, you know, producing radio plays and, and directing radio plays, and that was the dream come true. That was the thing that I had most wanted to do at the time, and we did live shows with Foley artists and sound effects and live musicians, and we'd get Jackie involved because we'd been taking acting classes and, and, and interested in acting and doing theater work.
0: So Was that the first time, then, that you guys functionally collaborated, was when, when you brought her on as an actress?
2: I think that's right, yeah, we, we would absolutely... Yeah, and I, I mean, you would you would definitely like sort of give me notes on all the different shows that I was trying to do, because we, we were dating at the time, but hadn't yet gotten married because this was
0: 98, 99, right. 2000. Well, so Jackie, what prompted you to go into acting classes?
1: Oh, I had been acting since I was 10 or 11, I had been in acting school. It was always something I enjoyed doing. So when Brian was producing these plays, I thought that was super cool. And, of course, I wanted to be involved. Then I had started taking acting classes again, maybe a couple years prior, just to fulfill that part of me.
0: Yeah, keep the energy alive. I was an actor for a very short amount of time. That's what I taught in high school, was was theater thinking that I would be able to continue that creativity through. But then the administration and the, the work of teaching is different than hanging out with a bunch of kids and making art all day long, which is what I had fantasized it was going to be. So you guys finally get to collaborate. How did it go at first? I think it was great. I think it
1: was You Cast Me, the first radio play You Cast Me in. Was Breakaway Back Down, and it was with Fisher Stevens, who was in it.
2: Feel the Zazz. Oh. Breakaway Back Down was when you were like the oh, lead Oh, right. Yeah. Breakaway
1: Back Down was all. Oh, you that know, was. Feel the Zazz. See, Field I can Zazz. That. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he remembers I remember that, that, right? Fisher Stevens. Was Fish, in. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I had done a, a Janice Joplin. I, I did a really good Janice yeah. Joplin impression. Janice Joplin and the show. Yeah. yeah, and that was pretty fun yeah no um, it was great
2: and and you would just help with just with everything i mean just in terms of like helping cast helping like who, who was good and who was bad and auditions and yeah that was that was easy collaboration compared to like ice cream collaborations yeah. years later i yeah. mean that, <laughs> there wasn't really much writing on yeah. it was fun and exciting well, you, a, you
1: also and, yeah you had a huge budget yeah and that was, the, I think the last thing that we did together was Kindred. That was the, uh, a huge, how um, many, Elfrey Woodard, Elfrey Woodard yeah. Lynn Whitfield. And that was oh a collaboration God. in
2: the sense that you're the one who told me we have to get the rights of this novel yeah. and we have to do this.
1: I didn't love sci-fi so much, but I did love Octavia Butler and Kindred was one of my favorite books. So if he had the opportunity to do it, I was like, yeah, let's do that. So, and it was great because it was a lot of work, and we had Ohad creating all of the music yeah, for a good it. friend
2: of ours did all the, the score. Ruby D yeah.
1: was in it. Oh, Ruby D. Oh, my God. She was oh, incredible. Wow. Yeah, she was incredible. Yeah. That was fun.
0: So can we listen to these? Do they exist out there on the internet? I know it was pre-podcast time, but... They do. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think
2: we were a little ahead of our time. (laughs) Now there are audio dramas in the world of podcasts. So secretly I'm fantasizing about doing that again in in the fourth act after, after Ice Cream, going back to producing and directing audio dramas for podcasts. But we can talk later.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about Ample Hills and... Coming up with that moment, and obviously like this love of ice cream, it was one of your first dates. How did that moment from like, I love to do this thing in my house, I love to make ice cream, I love this, we love this thing, we love sharing this. How does that turn from that into a proper creamery?
2: I think that like a lot of the steps and stops and starts along our (laughs) last few decades, there were things that precipitated it that led to that decision at that time and one of the things was that i had stopped being able to get work producing and directing audio dramas and producing and directing audiobooks i had lost the job at random house where i produced and directed audiobooks audiobook production was moving to a different method cheaper way of producing them and they stopped hiring producers and directors and had talent directing themselves for doing Thanks. audiobooks, books yeah. all this kind of stuff and so you know I'd had three or four movies that had been made for TV but I wasn't breaking through to the next level and any given screenplay wasn't paying for us to live for a very long time and so ice cream was always there in the back of our heads it was something that we made and we played around with but to take the leap and say, here's our life savings, we're going to take it and put it into this ice cream shop, sort of required a level of desperation on other fronts, meaning like if I'd have had all this other success doing other things still, then we probably wouldn't have gotten to the ice cream shop. So the ice cream shop was there and it was always an idea and it was percolating. But it came to the front because almost out of necessity, because these other things started to dry up. You know, and Jackie was the constant. We had two kids at the time then, six-month-old and a (laughs) three-year-old. And so she was paying the bills, and I would make money occasionally freelancing. It wasn't something that we could rely on. And so we thought, well, if we can open up an ice cream shop, we can buy brian a job basically we had been lucky we'd been able to buy an apartment you know years before that and it was too tiny to for all four of us to live in so we'd sold the apartment during one of the booms and so we'd had a little bit of a nest egg not millions of dollars but a couple hundred thousand dollars which was everything that we needed to open up this ice cream shop so we could have just kept eating into that and basically it would have fritted away over the five to ten years or we could have sink it into an ice cream shop and and hope we could buy me a job is that about right
1: absolutely correct Yeah, I think before we took the leap of eating Ample Hills, we would hang out in this cabin that my family has been renting for the last 40-something years. And there wasn't Wi-Fi or phones or television or anything else. So most of what we would do was just create these elaborate meals, and we hadn't hand-cranked ice cream churner that brian of course brought up and so we would create various ice cream flavors that we would pair with whatever the meal was for that time and just kind of dream about and talk about like what our ice cream shop would look like how it would feel what we would do and you know brian would create all these crazy flavors like tootsie roll flavor Mm, ice cream and what was yeah, it? Yeah, the Tootsie Roll Pop. Yeah. yeah it I still, he still likes you
2: know, it. Try to impress your parents. Yes, that
1: was it. Yeah. that's true, too.
2: Yeah, this was like a little lake in the Adirondacks, and the cabin looked out on the, the lake, and we'd sit on the porch and, and and churn ice cream. And, I mean, it was just... It was, it was a lot of fun because it was all the creative and ideas and none of the reality yet right and so when it's when it's all just the the, you can just play endlessly because Mm -hmm. none of it has has to have been settled into stone
0: yet Mm -hmm. it's magic right it's one of those rare times it sounds like you were able to live in a moment and recognize that you were living in the moment do you get back to the cabin
1: it's there every year we turned ice cream last august yeah
0: Yeah, we oh, do. Awesome. Now we
2: have Wi-Fi there. And yeah. so now we can do live streaming. I think we did a live stream from the cabin <laughs> yeah. last year. Oh, that's awesome. Ice cream flavors for the the social. Our roles have been pretty well defined now for a number of years. I mean, I'm really back of house and Jack's really front of house, which means that I'm the creative force behind making up ice cream and making up ice cream flavors and cooking. And Jackie is the creative force and the social force out front, how the shop feels, looks, the vibe of it, the culture of it, the training of the staff and all that.
0: That's awesome. It's so nice to hear your ability to be in it with each other, right? That's such a valuable part of professional collaboration is being able to sit in things with one another and, and personal collaboration and being partners at work and at home, romantic and platonic. Like you kind of started off by saying, you know, we're still friends, which is hard after 20 years, I'm coming up on 15 in a couple of weeks. And it's such an important reminder of the ability of people to see each other as people first and as opposed to partners. Right. And You're my partner, but you're also a human being first. It's laudable. So then kind of moving forward, Ample Hills becomes absurdly successful very, very quickly. And and there's been a lot written about kind of the story of Ample Hills, so I don't want to belabor it too much. But how did you guys look, kind of come back up out of the moment of Ample Hills bankruptcy and selling the the business which must have been difficult what's the onus and the decision making process to look at what's going on and say we're going to do this differently what was the thinking that went into the process of building the social And why and how was that different than building Ample Hills in the first place?
2: Well, I just want to just correct one thing, which I think is an important distinction. And then I'll let Jackie talk a little bit about how it's different now. And that is that we didn't sell Ample Hills. I think it's an important distinction because people in the, the public still, I think, think that we might have sold Ample Hills, and that would indicate that we got something by selling it. And so when you file for bankruptcy... You know, as the founders, we filed for bankruptcy and then we have nothing. And so the entity that then is selling the business out of the bankruptcy is basically the banks, the people that are owed money, which in this case were banks and lenders and investors. And so nobody made any money and certainly we only ended up with debt and then a personal bankruptcy as well as a result of the debt that we had from the bankruptcy. So we ended up not selling the business but the business did sell out of the bankruptcy to another group a a machine parts company out of oregon that took it over and that didn't have an interest you know originally we were hoping to go work with the new company Mm -hmm. as the founders working with the new owners which often happens obviously but they didn't have any interest in having the the founders around, I think they thought they were buying a a commodity and not Mm -hmm. a a brand. And so, therefore, the founders were not essential to that vision and moving forward. So, in any event, in terms of how it's different, there are a lot of ways that we sort of set out to make it different.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... We weren't, as Brian said, ready to necessarily let go of having this community ice cream shop and company and experience. There were a lot of things that we wanted to continue on, and I think we did incredibly well at Ample Hills. And so we were also in the thick of the pandemic. We filed for bankruptcy the same day that New York City shut down because of COVID, so it was kind of like all worlds were like completely up uphe- It was just complete upheaval our personal world our business world our our city our country our world world I don't know it was just like crazy town so we spent a lot of that time just trying to figure out well what can we do you know what are we going to do to survive number one and what is our best bet I mean we had nothing now right like we filed bankruptcy for the company but we've had to file personal bankruptcy so now it was just kind of like well what what can we do and so
2: thought about all kinds of ideas yeah. i mean going back to teaching you yeah. know, going back to screenwriting i mean all those things were on the table mm-hmm. we just couldn't honestly think of anything that was as sure a bet as i guess we thought well we know how to make ice cream we know how to build a community spot
0: Well, so talk about that, the build a community spot part, because I think that is something that really has resonated very, very deeply within me about the social. I mean, obviously from the name, you're drawing people in for a specific reason, but something that building momentum, which is our company really believes that a company doesn't have to worry, shouldn't focus rather on profit margins and making as much money as possible, but rather make the community better And impact your community that you're a part of because it's your neighborhood when you're a business. And when you're a small business especially, right? It's like moving into a neighborhood. And how do you make that neighborhood better by being a part of it? Can you talk about how the social is with that community mind so the fork, because everything I've read about and everything I looked into, so focuses on community first, almost ice cream second, right? That ice cream is a way to get them in the door, but really... Building, building the community is what's important there.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It was really important and again it just especially because we were in this pandemic and socially isolating and the name the social obviously comes sure. from this idea that we just need to gather and be social. We're human and it's a very, very powerful word and it's a very powerful experience and we experienced not being social for you know, that time period and yeah. you know and how detrimental it is to everybody's mental health and Being a New Yorker and growing up here, I was torn apart by the fact that everybody was leaving the city. And I was like, oh, geez." I'm like, everyone's leaving. All these blocks and blocks in New York City were just kind of decimated and empty retail shops were moving out. Retail's dead. That's what I heard all the time. And it made me really sad because one of the things I love so much about this city, about where I grew up, was the fact that you could access these incredible places, you know, mom and pop shops and, you know, places that were not chains, that were more personal. And so I felt we absolutely have to stay here. And we knew we wanted to create a space that was going to bring people together. And We found this location in Prospect Heights. It wasn't the first one that we were looking at, actually, but it was even bigger than the first one we were looking at, which made us more excited about the fact that we could host parties and gatherings and have games for people to play, and each one of our booths have game tables embedded in them. And it's one of the things that makes me really happy to come here, especially on a weekend when there are a bunch of families people coming in and just enjoying the space and playing ping pong on our table and that's awesome so
0: i love that i read in one of the interviews with you you said you know it wouldn't work as a 550 square foot space we needed this 2700 square feet we needed to have room for humans room for people i love that it's so true it has been such a hard and weird time When we were in the height of the pandemic in Alexandria, we opened a movie theater, a drive-in movie theater across the street from our office. We had access to this big lot. Same idea, though, was that, like, people just needed something, right? And we were sitting at home like, what the hell do we do with our kids this weekend? And the idea was, well, why don't we just start a drive-in and see what happens, right? Bring people together. They needed to be together. And that's such a draw. I do want to talk about ice cream really quickly before we wrap up. I need to know a couple of things. What are your favorite flavors that you make? It's whatever I'm
2: making. Every flavor yeah, is your favorite flavor. He
1: literally <laughs> says after every single flavor he makes, oh, this is the best flavor i ever made. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I mean, right now I'm working on a white chocolate ice cream with swirls of peanut butter and peanut butter chocolate-covered potato chip clusters. And so oh that's like something that we'll, we'll probably come out with next week at some point. I haven't lost the fun and the joy of, of making ice cream and, and coming up with new flavors. If we only made the same eight or ten flavors, over and over again we never changed it then i would just stop i mean there's there's literally no reason to to go on and so ice cream it is like soup it's like you can literally do anything with it and so i still wake up in the middle of the night with you know new ideas for like uh, flavor variations and oh my god we got to go and try that
0: what was the impetus to add donuts to the mix Part of it is
2: just we're looking for ways to differentiate ourselves from our previous business, which still exists an eight-minute walk away from our front door here. And so we are in competition with ourselves, as it were. And so we looked for lots of different ways. You know, at the end of the day, we weren't going to reinvent the wheel and make all ice cream with... Goat milk or all ice cream with avocados. I mean, like, we, we were going to make ice cream that, by and large, was very similar to the ice cream that I made before, but improved upon. And so I spent the whole year of the pandemic remaking all the flavors over and over again, and revisiting the base recipes to see if i could improve on the texture the quality of the ice cream and I think we did and continue to do so and then just look for other things that we could add to it and we really i think the donuts came about again it was one of those pandemic things and during the pandemic it wasn't just ice cream i mean i would make ramen from scratch and i would make pasta from scratch and bread just like everybody else that was sitting at home baking and cooking and. So, one of the things that kids wanted a lot of were donuts from scratch, and so we just started making donuts. And we thought to ourselves, well, why don't we why don't we add donuts to the ice cream shop? Because then we can have a signature donut Sunday. And I think that was yeah. the thing that really drove it was this idea of a warm cake donut with ice cream on top and hot fudge and whipped cream and all, and, and the works. And so that oh was God. what we that was really the driving.
1: My favorite flavor right now is banana pudding. Yes. It Ooh. is It is so good. And I have to say, it is one of the most popular flavors, and it is one of those flavors that we can't get rid of. There are certain flavors you absolutely cannot get rid
0: Mantes. of..
1: Yeah, they have to because people get angry. Like, they get hostile. (laughs) Yeah, no, they come in specifically, they will say, I've traveled for the banana pudding. You don't have it. And, of course... We didn't have it because, like a lot of things these days, things are hard to source. So we couldn't sure. get Nilla wafers. So we drove out to Bayonne, New Jersey last weekend, <laughs> like a Walmart, to get enough Nilla wafers to make this flavor. And it's stuff like that that you, you realize, like, okay, you know, we got to figure out how to do it. Brian likes to make all these different flavors, new flavors, right? But there are definitely flavors that we have to... The problem is that if I
2: keep making... More and more brilliant, yeah. wonderful flavors that everybody uh-huh. loves. Then I can't experiment. Make I gotta occasionally make bad flavors. What is what is that? Or, or right. the dipping cabinet has to go from twenty-four flavors to like forty-eight. Forty-eight. I, that's I, it. I, what are we That's gonna it. Do?
0: Well, I will let you know if I ever see boxes of Nilla wafers from now on. I'll just I'll buy them and I'll send them to you guys, just so you have. We like the um, mini ones, FYI. Yeah. Mini Nilla wafers noted. If, if anyone hears this and they have a, a supply on many nilas, please make sure they get into the social as quick as possible. Well, to wrap up, we ask folks the same questions and usually we're asking people one-on-one. So I want to think about this. We asked people kind of what their alternate universe versions of themselves would be doing. So let's, let's make some assumptions about our alternate reality versions of you guys. You were still teachers. You still met when you did, but Ice cream never bubbled to the surface as the thing. So what does the alternate version of you all look like as professional collaborators in 2022 if you never made that first batch of ice cream together on the porch in the Adirondacks?
1: So that's a really interesting question and a good <laughs> one for to, to really ruminate about because I think it's important. I feel like the one thing I could think of is that we would be creating some type of world perhaps in the media arena where we're uh, engaging people experientially somehow whether that's like some type of film or short series or something that I definitely Feel like I, maybe it's because we talked a lot about the early the early times and and creating these radio dramas together. It, it's it was igniting a spark about doing something like that again, but having it have some more meaning and maybe some something tangible, something. Some some type of it could be a restaurant, I suppose, or a drive-in. I like the idea of a drive-in.
2: <laughs> Here I'm thinking um. about fondue. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about. Oh, fondue, <laughs> yeah
0: coming hard for the melting pot i like it yeah,
2: so the exactly the exactly. melting pot is not it good it's not
0: a great it's not a great user experience listen i love
2: the melting pot but it's just not good fondue and i've had the this fondue pot collection for, what are you week, talking yeah, about no, but I, the first fondue pot i got in college but now jackie and i give fondue pots to each other it's like <laughs> christmas presents that we find on ebay we've got a collection of six or seven fondue pots and yeah. we have fondue parties so it has definitely been something that's been sitting there, and we we gave a lot of thought to it during the pandemic year, and we couldn't think of anything less COVID-friendly than fondue and sitting around a pot of cheese together. But in an alternate universe, I could see like Rick's Place in Casablanca having our fondue restaurant. Oh yeah, like a '70s thing with the yeah. shag carpet, and the-
0: you've already designed it
1: in our heads. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh. We've got it. We've got it. We just I'm here for the, it, guys. We just need the funding. Put it together. Huh? We, we got this I'll... fondue restaurant.
0: Listen, you guys want to make your way down the D.C. region. It's ripe for a, a fondue, a, a, a nice bespoke pop-up fondue place. I'll do that all day long. I'll do pop-up fondue all day long.
1: Pop-up fondue. That's fun. I'm
0: in. And the very last question is, so one more time thinking back to your former teacher selves. You guys are are starting to date. What does that couple think of the couple that you guys have become 20 years later, 30 years later? 30 years. Damn.
1: Yeah, it's crazy how that happens.
2: (laughs) Well, except for the bankruptcy part, we would have been very proud of it.
1: Yeah, totally. I
2: mean, except for that little part about, like, basically not being sure if we can pay our bills and feed our kids and send them to college. Well the rest of it is pretty good. Yeah,
1: no. I, I I think that yeah, they would have been really like psyched to see what we created.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for for spending the hour with me. I really, really appreciate it. Again. Um, you know we have some some fun background sounds of what you know life at the social is before before opening so make your way to the social if you can if you're in the new york environs it looks awesome and i'm confident my producer will attest to its deliciousness and its delight who gets to be there and i'm super jealous of her thank you thank you thank you
1: Thank you thank you guys